Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton, and that's right, we are Wagering Week. You guys can get in touch with us, Facebook and Twitter. That is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you get in touch with us. And guys, let me tell you, we are about halfway through the NFL season, and it is flying by. Does anybody remember when we almost didn't have an NFL season? Can you can you think back and remember that? Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to get into a lot of the games. We also have college football. Welcome back to the Mac. Midweek Mac games are awesome. I'm sorry. They, they just really are. So we had some of them this week. That's fantastic. Pac-12 is coming back. Oh, we'll get into some of that as well. Plus, got a little update about Trevor Lawrence. We have a little bit of baseball on tap as well. But I want to start the show off and give you some pure numbers and some pure statistics. Because at the end of the day, the numbers and the statistics, people can use them. Use them for your own purposes. But don't live and die by them. That's my biggest fear is when I give things like this, people turn around and they go, well, you know what? This is, uh, you know, the statistics are all that matters. And that's what it is. No, no, no. But it is interesting to know and it's something to pay attention to. So, for example, let's talk about the biggest covering teams in the NFL. See if we can find an anomaly. When I tell you that the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were completely undefeated on the season, are also 6-1 and one against the spread, that's not something that we can overly take advantage of as a sports better, right? We can't take advantage of that. They're good. They're going to be good. They're going to be priced to be good. The same goes for Kansas City, who is 6-2. and two. Same goes for uh, Seattle, who are 5-2. and two. You have these good teams, but here's some interesting numbers. The Cincinnati Bengals are 6-2 and two at covering the spread. Well, what does that tell us? Well, that means that, obviously, Cincinnati's just getting no love, man. They are not getting love from the public or the lines makers. The Cincinnati Bengals are becoming, right in front of our eyes, a good team. They went out there and they bid at one loss Tennessee team last week. Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback, even if he is getting hit all the time, which he absolutely is. This Cincinnati team is becoming dangerous. 6-2 and two against the spread isn't just that they're a good team. It's that people are not believing they're a good team. They're seeing the name Cincinnati, and they're betting against them. Now, they're in a tough division, so their spreads are going to be a little inflated against teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But a team like Tennessee last week, look, that was an outright win. So that's something that we have to pay attention to. How about the Chargers? Well, the Chargers, uh, they are 5-2 and two against the spread. Justin Herbert is fun. They're not being counted on to do too much. But, man, it's tough to bet on the Chargers if you're going and, and seeing the way that they're losing games. Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. You know, you could put them in the good category. People were not believing in them. They are 5-2 and two against the spread. I mentioned Seattle. Denver's another team. Denver is going to be a good against the spread team as long as Vic Faggio is there. Why? Because you look at the Denver Broncos and you go, they got a defense, man. And they have a running game. And teams with defenses and running games and that don't have a generally good team are usually absolutely fantastic against the spread because they're able to slow 
the game down and keep games close. You are maybe not going to go out there and bet them on the money line because they're not going to have a great record, but against the spread, they should be fine. Miami's 5-2. and two. We Look, that's right about what their record is, a 4-3, and three. and Green Bay is 5-2, and two, so doing well. The Giants are 5-3, and three, which means the Giants are just playing a lot closer than people give them credit for. When Saquon Barkley went down, people jumped off the Giants' bandwagon, and then Sterling Shepard went down, and the Giants were in a bad way, but I think they have the right coach, and I think we saw a little glimpse of that on Monday night of what they can be. Chicago Chicago, Vegas, Indy, Washington, Minnesota, Tampa, they're all in the middle of the pack, either 5-3, and 4-3, and three, right about there. Uh, you go down the list, Carolina, San Francisco, the Rams, they're all right in the middle of the pack. Then you have teams that are under 500. New England's under 500 at 3 and 4. No big shock. People are still betting New England, but not quite like they were because, you know, Tom Brady wasn't there. Baltimore at 3 and 4 is something surprising. That means that a team that is 5 and 2, a team that had the second best odds preseason to win the Super Bowl, are sitting here at under 500 against the spread. A lot of the country is just putting way too much faith in what the Ravens can be as opposed to what the Ravens right now are. Detroit, well, they're a bad team at three and four, and their spread is three and four. Atlanta, three and five. A lot of that is coming from they should be much worse, but they actually played well in some of those games and lost those leads. Buffalo at three and five, another weird situation. They got off to a great lead early in the season. People started to overbet them and overvalue them. It has come back to the pack. They are winning now, like they won last week, but they didn't cover last week. So that's something to keep in mind. That's a team to watch. Philadelphia, 3-5. and five. Philadelphia is a weird one. Why are people still just going out there and thinking that Philly's going to dominate? Look, last week, there was a reason for them to be 7.5-point favorites, and they got the cover there. But the other seven games, how are you going out there and looking at this roster and what is comprised on this offense and thinking that there's any buying opportunity? No, I don't like that one. Cleveland, the same kind of instance. Cleveland, I expect. People like to bet Cleveland. They're buying into Baker. They like uh, Odell. I understand why they're under 500. They're not a very good team, and people like to bet them. But stop betting the Cleveland Browns. Tennessee, they're 2-5. and five. This is weird because it's a complete flip of what their record is, which means, again, a team with a good running game is going to keep games close. But, ah, wait a minute. They're supposed to have a good defense, and they just don't. I've been railing about this for weeks. The Tennessee Titans defense is not... Ah, mediocre. The Tennessee Titans defense is flat out bad. And you're going to get a 2-5 and five against the spread record if your defense is bad. That's what this is. People like to jump on the idea that Tennessee was undefeated. And they like to jump on the idea that Ryan Tannehill had MVP numbers. Both are absolutely true. People love the idea that Derrick Henry, oh, he's rumbling again. Derrick Henry leading the NFL in rushing. Yeah, he is. All of that can be true. And then they could also have a really bad defense that doesn't cover. So that means that the public is believing that the line should be higher. The lines makers are saying, okay, we're going to set the line higher, but they're not going to cover because their defense is bad. Jacksonville at 2-5 and five against the spread. You know, this is a, a surprising one because usually if you have a bad team, people are just going to bet on the bad team and they should get squashed. But Jacksonville is just so bad defensively that they are absolutely getting squashed. New Orleans at 2-5 and five makes a lot of sense when you understand their injuries. Their injuries uh, came in, in a clump where Michael Thomas, you didn't know if he was going to play or not. What was the spread going to be? And New Orleans is a tough team to line right now. It's a hard team to put a line on because they're playing above their head. They've won four straight, but they're playing above their head without Michael Thomas, without Sanders. They're a tough team to line right now. 
Houston one and six against the spread. Well, Houston was a playoff team last year. Say what you want about Bill O'Brien. He had that team on the ropes. Houston's schedule has been absolutely brutal. The first four games basically is against the first the best four teams in the NFL, three of them for sure. And you look at the Houston Texans sitting at one and six. That's a market correction. We do these things, and I do this every uh, couple of months, to try to find a market correctable team. The Houston Texans are a buy on team. I'm going to speak in stock terms. They're a buy low, right? There's a buy low. If I was Jim Cramer, I'd go, buy, 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 hit that button. I love that guy, man. I want his set. But look, this is what I'm doing. I'm buying on Houston right now. Not because I believe in the new coach, and not because I believe they're going to turn it around, and not because I see how bad their schedule is, which it is. I'm not buying on Houston because of that. I'm buying on Houston because I don't think that they are a one and six against the spread team. And I think people are going to start jumping a ship on them. The lines makers are going to see people jumping ship on them. And the line is going to come kind of back to favorability. How about the New York Jets? The Jets don't have a win on the season, but they have one cover on the season. This is the time where you start to buy on the Jets normally. This is the time when you start to buy on a team when everyone's piling on oh, that coach is terrible, the worst team in the league they go going 0 16 and I'm one of them okay, I'm one of them this is a time when normally you start piling on and you go, alright, lines are going to be massively inflated, things are going to get out of control, Jets are going to just be kind of the whipping boys here and eventually they're going to start setting lines that are just too high to cover it's the Jets though and this worries me. While Adam Gase is still there, it worries me that they may not turn it around. So normally, the Jets are a marketable correcting team. I'm not positive that they are yet, but I'm starting to get into that territory. Line on Monday night is 7.5. I don't think you could lay 7.5 with New England. By the way, that Monday night game, 1-7 against the spread, against 3-4 and four against the spread. That's interesting. And then you have the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, we know are bad. We know that they are the laughing stock of the league. We know that everyone's looking at Dallas and saying, oh my goodness, can you guys be this bad? We know all that. But I don't see it changing anytime soon. They have a backup to a backup at quarterback. And they're being lined favorably. I, I mean, it's fair lines, but it's not lines that I think are going to attract the money. And I'll tell you a story that happened this week. Dave Sharapin, uh, who's a friend of the show, a sports book, uh, he he is a guy that sets the lines, okay, in Las Vegas. And he put something out on Twitter after I had this conversation, and I had this conversation on on the air, a conversation about what the line should be. Then Dave put it out on Twitter, and I was talking back and forth with Dave. And basically the consensus was this. I'll give you the synopsis of my conversation was, I think the line, this is when there was no line because we didn't know if Dalton was going to play. I think the line should open up at probably like 14 or 15 in order to get the money to come in from the other side. No one's betting on Dallas underneath that. But I thought it would open up at 13 because you, they don't want to cross the 14 number. Now, uh, I kind of nailed it. It opened up at 13 and a half. It went up to 14 and signs are tilting that it's going to flip and fall into the 14 and a half. Maybe get then once it crosses over the 14 and a half, gains a little steam and goes to 15. You're against the best defense in the league. You're against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can't see you scoring a point. That's how the mentality of most of the public is going to be. So how do you get people to go and bet on the Dallas Cowboys? Well, you put an astronomical number out there. But just to give you a little credence to this, 
what happened last week. You had the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes at home against the New York Jets. What can we do? What kind of ridiculous number can we put out there to make people go and buy on the Jets? That was the question. What kind of insane number can we go and put out there to make people go bet the Jets? I got it. Let's go put out a 20 number. And I mean, that's the reality of the situation of what happened last week. It opened up at 21. People jumped on the Jets and they said, okay, Jets, Jets. uh, Yeah, no one's going to lose by that much, man. You got to be the Jets. Yeah, it's got to be the Jets. 35-9 was the final, right? Win, easy cover, easy cover. Even if you got the 19 line, the 20 line, 21 line, 21 and a half line, still easy cover. Because some of these games, you just can't set the line high enough. So that's the rundown there. Let's take a look at the over-unders. This is generally more indicative of how a style of a team plays against what you think the style is. So New Orleans is sitting at 7-0. and They're sitting at 7-0 and to the over. That means seven games played, seven overs cashed. All right? This is a very, very interesting situation because the Saints always have a good defense. We know about how good the defense is for the Saints. Not so much this year. Their defense is just flat out not playing well. And their offense, which is supposed to be explosive, is supposed to be Drew Brees and Peyton and Kamara and Thomas and Sanders. Well, they're missing Thomas. They're missing Sanders. Brees doesn't look like himself. Now, Kamara's having a fantastic year. So the offense has come back, and people know that. Yet, they're still going over. Why? Because people do know that. People are watching Michael Thomas out, and they're going, okay, well, you know what? We're going to pull back a little bit. But they're still not giving the idea that the Saints defensively are this bad. Vegas and Tennessee are also 5-1-1 and against the spread. Depending on when you got that number, as far as the over, when you got it, it could be 6-1, and okay? For Vegas and Tennessee. Well, I just went over Tennessee, didn't I? Why are the Tennessee Titans 5-1-1 uh, and one or 6-1 and one to the over? Because their defense is flat-out bad. Yeah, they got a good offense. This is about defense. This is about people believing that defense of Tennessee is much better than they are, and they're just not. They're just not. Vegas, it's a little bit of both. Look, Vegas's defense is, is awful. All right, they're ranked 26th in the league in passing against, and that's what they're going up against. They're going up against big-time arms. They're going up against good quarterbacks that are scoring on them. But don't overlook the fact that Derek Carr's having a great year, and he's flinging it all over the field as well. Last week was their only under, and it went under because there was like a ridiculous monsoon, hurricane, storm, whatever the hell you want to call it, happened in Cleveland. So... They are actually a team, and you got to take that in consideration. Vegas really shouldn't have an under. They had an under because the line dropped 10, 10 points because of the weather, and that's their only under. That's something to watch. Vegas overs, still going to be cashing for the rest of the year. Seattle and Buffalo 5-2 and two, uh, to the over. Buffalo, I think it's because their number 5 ranked defense two years ago. Their number 3 ranked defense last year was supposed to be a top defense and they just haven't been. I also don't think that people expected Allen to be as good as this, so that is that. Seattle, we know. Seattle's a historically bad defense at this point. Historically bad defense at this point. Russell Wilson is probably leading the charge of the MVP. You look at Minnesota, Five and two. Well, we know the defense, right? I mean, and is that going to get any better? We know that there's two rookie cornerbacks there. We know that Danielle Hunter, their best defensive player, is out this week or during the break. They traded their best defensive player that has been actually healthy. Hunter says he's not coming back. So I look at that as a potential trend that we're going to continue to go with. So I'm not really spotting anything, maybe the Vegas thing. But other than that, there's no really market correction here. Pittsburgh 4-2-1, Tampa Bay's 5-3, Cincinnati's 
five and three. Cleveland's five and three. By the way, I think Cincinnati's going to only start to go more overs because I really believe in this offense. I don't know who else does. Denver four and three. Chargers four and three. Indy four and three. Detroit. Green Bay, Houston, Jacksonville, all four and three. Then you got the middle teams, Atlanta, San Francisco, Philly, and Dallas, four and four, even spread. Three and four is hard to go with as well. New England, Washington, and Baltimore. Kansas City, Carolina, Giants, Jets, Chicago, all three and five. All in that that one game back or forth on an over-under, you're not going to make too much of that. that I, I'll point out a couple of teams here. I do think that Houston will have more offense. They may get a couple more overs here. I do think Indy comes back to the pack on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're not as good defensively as people are making them out to be. But I don't know how much the public even believes in Houston's defense. So I, I'm going to say stay tight there. Um, you look at San Francisco, well, with Nick Mullins coming in and a lot of problems on defense, do they, on, on offense, does their defense carry the day. I think you're going to see a couple more unders there for them. Dallas, historically bad defense, but guess what? Everybody knows it. The problem is, can they score at all? I would expect some more unders there as well. The over in Kansas City should start to cash because Mahomes is going to start hitting his groove here, and I don't think their defense is very good. So we're going down to the last three. Miami is 2-5, and five, and this is a number that I think actually will grow defensively. Um, People are not believing in this Miami defense, and they just have the two best cornerbacks. They have the best cornerback duo in the NFL in Jones and Howard. And that's a hard pill for people to swallow because they may not know that, and then they do. Tua looks like he's going to be the efficient guy, not the guy that's going to just go crazy like a Burrow or a Herbert. And if he's the efficient guy, that means slow it down. That means short passing game. That means crossing routes. That means running clock. That means more unders. So I look at Miami at 2-5 and five against the spread on the under and I think there's going to be more unders. The Rams two and six. I don't think the Rams defense is as good as we've seen, and I do think that their offense gets in the gear. They have a bye week this week. I think McVay kind of goes back into the lab, goes back into the tank. I do expect him to kind of give a lot more credence to Cam Akers, who's a lot more explosive. He's got to get Higby more involved. Cooper Cup's had a down season. Robert Woods is at a mediocre season. I think their offense has got to click a lot more. So I expect some overs there for the Rams, and then Arizona is one in six to the under. That is a position that is clearly going to go up. I see a lot more overs in the future of Arizona. You can tell me it's because of Murray. Sure, Murray's going to be good, and now, you know, you know Hopkins, and sure, all of that. You want to sit back and tell me how good they are? Yeah, okay. I think it's because Chandler Jones isn't going to be there, and I think that he does make that much of a difference. They also have to play some good offenses coming up. Uh, this weekend, they're playing up against the Miami Dolphins. You're going up against a Dolphins team that I don't expect to put up a lot of points, but I do expect them to move the ball. So you're starting to see some buying opportunities when you're talking about over-unders, when you're talking about teams that are maybe outperforming or underperforming their metrics. Where are the lines set? The lines are set by you, the general public that is sitting back and thinking, what is this team? So it's not all about just one side of the ball. Well, Dallas got a terrible defense. Yeah, they're 4-4 four and four against the spread because they've been priced the right way, right? Pittsburgh's got a great defense. Uh, they're 7-1 and one to the over. Why? They're the only team in the NFL that scored 26 or more points in every single game this year. So there are metrics and there are numbers that you have to pay attention to. And it's like watching the market. I mentioned the stock market. It's like watching the market. We all just sat back and watched the election, right? 
We all sat back and watched the election. We watched, well, there's ebbs and flows. And how are they calling the state with 1% in? Well, because this district votes this way. It's the same way with sports betting. You try to find those numbers and those positions. You try to find that angle, and you see the ebbs and flows, and you watch the statistics and the numbers. So that the segment that I just did is for your information. I'm trying to show you how I decipher the numbers and how I come up with this, which is a lot of that is what goes into a computer to make the totals. That's something to pay attention to. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick timeout. Come on back. Lots more to talk about. I got a little baseball to talk about. We got some big NFL games on the weekend. And what are the odds and bets of the future is all ahead right after this on Wagering Week. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. All at my bookie. Winning season means watching live sports and betting. Live sports all season long. The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use promo code WAGERWEEK and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free bet play. Designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use the promo code WAGERWEEK and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. This is two-time Super Bowl champion Ike Taylor, and you are listening to Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you twenty bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? All right. We're going to take a look at some odds, and the number one name in college football is Trevor Lawrence. Well, how much does he mean to the line? Uh, Clemson opened up as a five-point favorite without Trevor Lawrence, who's on the COVID list, uh, against Notre Dame. That is via Circus Sports. Within moments, it was bet up to minus six, and Clemson came in. They should have been, according to a lot of estimations, and, and you're looking at the the early lines, it's hard to determine two weeks out because it was Trevor Lawrence with being two weeks out, but a lot of the early lines had Clemson upwards of 14 or a 15-point favorite. Is Trevor Lawrence really worth 10 points? Well, that's what a lot of the metrics are saying. So that is Clemson at Notre Dame. This is going to be a big one. Depending on where you're shopping, number could be anywhere from 5.5 to 6 Clemson-Notre Dame this weekend. That is what are the odds. We got a lot of college football. I told you guys Mac this week was cool. But the Pac-12 opened up this week as well. Uh, Cal against Washington. Cal, one-and-a-half point favorite. Arizona State, USC. Arizona State, ten-and-a-half point underdog. Arizona, Utah. Utah, 14-point favorite. UCLA, Colorado. UCLA, six-and-a-half point favorite. Oregon opens up as an 11-point favorite against Stanford. And Washington State, Oregon. Oregon State, Minus one and a half. Now you look at these Pac-12 games. I don't really like anything too much here. I really don't. I, I'm not totally sold on many of them. I think that Utah will be good again this year. I don't know if I'm laying 14. I think Oregon is a little overrated against Stanford, catching 11 with all this time off. I don't love that. USC is always going to get some money, but I think Arizona State could probably stay within the number. So I'm going to stay away from the Pac-12. Take a week off here and kind of just see what's going on. <laughs> you know, I think that's the best course of action I really do for everybody. All right, let's talk a little bit about the NFL this 
weekend. We got some big games. I'm not going to go over every single game, but I want to go over the big ones. We'll run down. I'll give you a little, just a little nugget on just about every single game. We'll start it off Buffalo, Seattle. This is a really good mindset type of game. The Buffalo Bills are coming off of their Super Bowl. They had lost 29 of 32 games. Their head coach had never won uh, in six tries against Bill Belichick. Their starting quarterback had not won in three tries against Bill Belichick. And now they beat New England in that fashion, in that stadium. They welcome in Seattle. I think there has to be a natural letdown for Buffalo, who's catching three points at home. Now, I think Buffalo is as good of a team as Seattle is, and I worry about Seattle's defense, which is just an absolute wreck, right? I mean, their defense is just flat-out bad. But you look at this Buffalo team, and you wonder where their head is going to be at. Seattle's going to be able to score. They could score on everybody, and Buffalo's defense is not what it once was. But I think that Buffalo has to get things right. Allen, this is the get-right week for Allen. He hasn't looked good in a couple of weeks. This is the get-right week for their defense as well. You've got to make a couple of stops. I'm not asking you to stop Seattle, but you've got to make a couple of stops, man. You got you can't let Russell Wilson go out there and put a 40-nugget on you. If you do that, you're not going to be in this game. Seattle, one of the best teams in the league, they— it, traveling from west to east they are in the one o'clock window by the way they are seven and one against the spread denver atlanta atlanta is a four-point favorite denver covers man they're just that kind of team they they hang close they cover but this is in atlanta atlanta it plays a little bit differently in atlanta matt ryan for his career always plays different in atlanta chicago tennessee this is a six-point spread tennessee giving to chicago there was questions that mick nick Foles would be benched for mitch trubinsky i was one of them saying you know i i, I think maybe it's a good idea mitch trubinsky he gets injured, so this is going to be the Nick Foles show. You can say what you want about Chicago. I think played an absolutely wretched game this week, but they still had a chance to win. They had multiple chances to win, and the game went into overtime against a pretty good New Orleans team. I think Chicago fights until the end. Tennessee, well, they've lost two in a row. They're coming off a loss against Cincinnati. It seems like nobody cares. It seems like nobody's paying attention to the fact that Tennessee just has a bad defense. Now, can Chicago take advantage of that? Well, that's the idea about this game. Detroit, Minnesota, this is all about Minnesota. The mindset set that Zimmer put into this team is astoundingly, astoundingly impressive. Minnesota, on their bye week, was sitting there as a one-win team. They had rookies all over the field. They lose and uh, look Daniel Hunter said I'm not coming back they lose their best defensive player they were expecting to come back and give them a jolt yeah he's not coming back then they traded their now best defensive player goodbye see you uh, and the team still got up and they still went into Green Bay last week as a nearly touchdown underdog and literally ran all over them when I say ran all over them Dalvin Cook ran all over them and what I liked that was really impressive was they did not take their foot off of their necks they just kept hammering it down and down and that was impressive Baltimore at Indy Baltimore's missing some big guys they're missing a big time left tackle they are missing Humphreys their number two cornerback I don't know if it matters, though, because Indy is just that team that they have flaws, and their flaws will be exploited in a game like this. Phillip Rivers is a liability at this point in his career at quarterback. They don't have anybody that worries you. Jonathan Taylor, well, he's banged up. Naeem Hines and Wilkins, you can't tell me that they're worrying you. And the passing game, Pascal, Burton, Mo Alley-Cox, Hilton, 
None of them are really doing it for you. So Baltimore is in a position where, yeah, we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson and his problems, and Marquise Brown kind of called him out on his problems and his passing ability and all that. I think Baltimore's going to run all day. They're going to have success against this defense that is ranked number one, but we all know they're not number one. They're going to have success to run the ball, but I think the big key here is the fact that they're going to live in Phillip Rivers' face. They're going to pressure him all day, and if you pressure Phillip Rivers all day, you just have to assume he's going to make mistakes. If Phillip Rivers is out there making mistakes, being pressured, being just the Phillip Rivers that we know that can destroy a game, that's just good for Baltimore. How about Carolina, Kansas City? Look, Kansas City is one of the greatest teams that you have seen in the last two years of covering the number. They just do not miss. I mean, they really are. They have failed to cover the number just twice in their last 15 games, guys. The Kansas City Chiefs just cover numbers. But not as much as Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, since the year 2000, is the best covering quarterback in the NFL, hitting nearly 75% of the time. Coming off a loss, that number goes up to 82% of the time. This is uh, rubber meets the road, rock in a hard place, whatever you want to say. I look at the number, and it's an inflated number. It started up at 10. It's 10 and a half. Now it's up to 11 in some spots. If Christian McCaffrey comes back, you have to expect Carolina to kind of get that jolt. The problem is is that one of these underrated injuries is, is uh, Mr. Chin here, for Carolina. He's been playing real well on the defensive backside. You can't go into Kansas City and have defensive back problems. How about Houston against Jacksonville? This number's up to six and a half. I've even seen it at seven at William Hill out there. Well, Jacksonville, they're starting uh, Luke Jolton. Well, Luton, Juton, Jake, who? That's the problem. Nobody knows who this guy is. They didn't know who he was during the draft, okay? And they're doing this. And things are a little fishy in Jacksonville. Let's be honest. They're doing this because Gardner Minshew is out. He goes, oh, well, he had broken fingers. He, broken fingers? He's throwing a football? Broken bones in his hands? I mean, this is crazy, the situation that's going on. I'll tell you what my thoughts are. Jacksonville wants to take a shot at Trevor Lawrence. If they don't get Trevor Lawrence, they got to make sure that they go get Fields because they don't believe in Luton. They don't believe in... Minshew, they don't believe in uh, you know whoever else, me, uh, Scott Brunel. They're not believing in anybody. They need a quarterback. And they don't really care about this season. That's how I'm looking at it. Now, it doesn't mean the players and the coaches don't, because of course they do. But that's how Jacksonville is putting out those vibes. Those vibes emanate through the system. Houston, on the other hand, all right, we turned our page. We got a new coach. We're going to start to do these excellent things. Oh, oh, this is great. And then they throw something in there like they're going to try to trade Fuller, who puts on his Twitter account a guy, you know, pacing. He's looking. Am I going to be traded? Am I going to Green Bay? Am I playing with Aaron Rodgers? Am I getting off this terrible 1-6 and team? At the end of the day, this game is all about Deshaun Watson. I think Watson needs to step up and say, this is my team. I don't care who the head coach is. It's my team. I don't care if Will Fuller's here or not. It's my team. And I think Watson has to step up and make that proclamation here. Giants against Washington. This number was three and a half in favor of Washington. People watched what the Giants did and said, well, maybe they're not so bad. Look, it's a Monday night game. It was on you know, the full stage. It was at home. Now they're coming off a short week. But on Washington's side, they lost Landon Collins for this game, which I think is a massive loss. Did you know, uh, this is a crazy stat, going into last week, that Daniel Jones had the best completion percentage for air yards over 15 yards downfield in the league? Now you don't think of him throwing the big pass, and now he gets Sterling Shepard back. So I think that there's some realism to what we watched on Monday night, but I also think that some of that was a mirage. What Washington's going to have to do is they're going to have to utilize passes out of the backfield. And utilizing passes out of the backfield, well, they like to do that. Gibson's that guy. Jaden McKissick is that guy. Washington is a dangerous team because they are well coached. Make no mistake about it. 
Rivera's a good coach. And he's had time to kind of sit on this game and think while the Giants, oh, they're sitting there and the Giants are going, yeah, we had a short week. We played a great game, but we couldn't get over the hump. I think the Giants are the better team, but I understand why they're the underdogs here. How about Vegas and the Chargers? I mentioned Vegas is the 26th ranked passing defense in the league. 28th ranked on big plays down the field. Justin Herbert's smiling ear to ear. But it is the Chargers. Now, the number went down from minus three for the Chargers down to a pick'em. Vegas has been playing well. Derek Carr is not that far out of the MVP conversation. And no, I'm not joking. Derek Carr is a guy that when you take a peek at who Derek Carr is and what he does, you go, and eh, maybe not that all impressive, but his numbers are there. And he's not making mistakes. And he's doing it with young guys out there. Derek Carr looks the part right now. I think he's going to have success against the Chargers, but I also think that Herbert is going to have plenty of success against Las Vegas. Their defense is holding them back. The one thing you can say about Vegas is they have a really tough schedule. They've been through these wars. Even though this is on the road, the Chargers seem to find ways to lose. I think it's a pick em for a reason. How about Miami, Arizona? It's two a time, and it really Really was two a time last week, but really was it? That game got ahead, uh, and Miami didn't need to. Now, he threw for less than 100 yards. People are going to look at that and say that's bad, but they didn't ask him to do too much. I watched the whole game. I broke down the film. I think two has got a lot of potential, man. He is a guy that sees the field really well. He's got a good touch on his ball. He's hitting players accurately. Tua is a guy that I really look at, and I go, yeah, he didn't get a fair shake. Now, they did lose Gaskin, which is huge. He was a big part of the offense. He's going to be down for this game. But Arizona is still dealing with the loss of Chandler Jones from a couple of weeks ago, which I don't think they fully recovered with. They're also starting a backup running back. You could tell me he's more equipped for the job and that Drake is having a bad time. I get it. I think Edmonds is pretty good, but I haven't seen him be the starting running back. This is an interesting spot because Miami, uh, last year, all of a sudden, the first couple of weeks of the season, people were bashing my, oh, they're the worst team in the league, oh, the worst team in league history, oh my God, they're going to be terrible. And then they started to rattle off some wins. They're 15-4 and four against the spread the last 19 games. That's a big number because people are not believing in Miami, but Miami has a couple of things. I mentioned two best cornerbacks in the NFL, best cornerback duo in the NFL. Christian Wilkins is in the inside, number one overall draft pick. They have things that you've got to like on this team. All right, how about Dallas and Pittsburgh? The best covering team in the NFL in Pittsburgh against the worst covering team, maybe historically, in the Dallas Cowboys. If they don't cover here, the line is up to 13 and a half. If they don't cover here, they will be the worst covering team in the history of the NFL at 0-9 against the spread. Danucci starting. Ezekiel Elliott can't get anything going. Their offense looks out of sorts, and their defense is still terrible. This is a game where you normally think that Pittsburgh's going to have an emotional letdown. They go out. They go on the road. Pittsburgh goes out and beats a division rival, the division rival that's right in front of them. They beat them on their own turf after a bye week. I mean, this is a classic letdown Pittsburgh situation. But even if they let down, I'm just not sure how Dallas can win here. I don't know if they could score here. I mean, that's where we're looking at it. It's a massive line, and I hate laying double digits in the NFL. But if you're going to lay double digits in the NFL, Pittsburgh-Dallas might be the spot. Best game of the weekend, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Tom Brady tries to get a little revenge. Remember in week one when we all sat back and we talked about, well, Brady didn't look good, and New Orleans defense was excellent. Well, funny thing happened. New Orleans defense is now bad. 
flat out bad. And they're missing all kinds of pieces. But Drew Brees is stepping up and Alvin Kamara is stepping up. And I got to say, it's a lot of well-coached games because they've won four in a row despite all of the problems that they have. Tampa, Tampa's riding high with the same record, weirdly enough. Um, I'm not putting too much stock into what I watched on Monday, but I'm not too happy about that defense. I still think Tampa's defense is one of the top two or three in the country. I still think that Tom Brady is in the MVP conversation. They are getting Chris Godwin back. And I do see the transition from Ronald Jones to Leonard Fournette, which I can only imagine is a good thing for these two teams as well. So I look at at this game, and I know that everybody's kind of sitting there and going, okay, Tom, what do you like in this game? New Orleans, 7-0 on the over. Well, we talked about that, and we talked about how good they are covering. I, I know New Orleans has won four in a row here. I still dread taking Drew Brees outside. I still dread going against Tom Brady in prime time. And I still dread taking the worst in a lot of categories. And here's what I mean. I believe that right now Brady's playing a better quarterback than Drew Brees. I believe right now that the Bucks offense is better than the Saints. I believe right now that the Bucks defense it's better than the Saints defense. So the Saints have the coaching, but Tampa Bay also has home field. They are laying four and a half. I hate laying the points, but I think Tampa gets out of here with a win. Then on Monday night, Jets, New England. You just can't set a line high enough for the New York Jets at this point. The number is seven, seven and a half, depending on where you're shopping. New England's a mess. Okay, they're a mess. Cam Newton's a disaster. He don't. He looks bad. He was benched. He put the blame on himself. But Cam Newton still has something left, maybe only for a game or two. And here's why he's got to have something left. This is basically his career. If Bill Belichick sits him and benches him for Jason Stidham, for for Jared Stidham, I'm sorry, for the rest of the season, or Brian Hoyer, for the rest of the season, Cam Newton's career is effectively over. So I think Cam knows that. I think he sees the Monday Night Lights. I think he sees a weak defense in the New York Jets. And I think he has himself a good game. But to go out here and lay money with the New England Patriots in the atrociousness that they're playing and the terrible way that they're going about their business out there, benching quarterbacks, no running game, there's just no weapons. James White's the best offensive weapon they have. There's just no weapons, and their defense is not too good. Plus, rumors this week about them trading just about everybody on their defense is a problem. I think the Jets eventually are going to get a cover. I can't see them getting a win. That's why this game is hard. I can't bet an underdog unless I think they can win the game. I don't think the Jets can win the game, but I can't lay seven and a half with New England. So that's the NFL rundown, guys. That's what we're looking at for this weekend. Really, we got some real, real, real good games. Okay, now let's bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the future. Bet to the future. All right, guys. We are looking at World Series odds. That's right. We got the World Series odds. Bet to the future. Coming up at the top of the odds, the Dodgers and the Yankees. Oh, what a surprise. The Dodgers are just under 5-1. to one. The Yankees are about 6-1 to one odds for bet to the future. Now, let's break them all down, right? Let's have a little fun with this because I do like when the odds come out. The first week they come out, they usually get a a little crazy, and then they start to stabilize. Now, this is before the winter meetings. This is before the free agency class. We know that. And then uh, you start to get the hype. Even if you're not betting right now, it is important to know what the odds are today. 
because you can see from the odds how they're going to move, how they're going to adjust, how teams are seeing it, how the public is seeing it, how lines makers see it, how many money is coming in. Right? I mean, we saw that a lot with the Reds last year where um, even though the season wasn't played, it doesn't matter because we could watch the odds leading up until opening day. And we kind of did that, right? We watched the Reds just all of a sudden get crazy and they went from I'm going to buy this team to whoa everybody is on this team kind of got to pull off so you have to know the odds to know where the money's going you have to know the odds to know where you should be putting your money so there's a lot to be determined here and we're coming off of a COVID year we're coming off of a shortened year where a lot of people don't even give validity to the World Series champion we're coming out there there's a lot to be talked about free agency is going to be impacted but I want to start talking a little bit about the baseball odds because it is something to absolutely pay attention to. We might find some buy-on opportunities. Let's start at the bottom because the bottom you kind of just throw away. Major League Baseball has increasingly become a very predictable sport. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or a good way, just a reality way. You know, it's sort of... Uh, Hockey's very unpredictable because of the the situation with the way that the Stanley Cup goes, okay? Even though this year was a predictable year, usually it's not. The NBA got into a bad spot where for nearly a decade, they were a consistently really predictable team. And I think they're kind of still in that, where the favorites are winning all the time. College football is absolutely there. At the beginning of the college football season, oh, cool, we got about 140-something colleges. There's about 10 of you guys that can play. I made the argument that there was less than 12, and, and I think that that's how you started every single year. We sort of know that Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio State are going in, and then, uh, you know, who else comes in? So we sort of know. College basketball tries to give the illusion that they're not predictable, right? They try to give the illusion that they're not predictable, but they are because there's never been more than a six seed ever won the championship, right? Go find out how many how many times have you seen even four or five seeds even in the final game? It's just not doesn't happen. So they've become very championship predictable. And the NFL, we could sit back and talk all we want about, well, anything could happen any given Sunday. Yeah, any given Sunday, except Super Bowl Sunday, where 12 of the last 13 teams that have won the Super Bowl have been one of the top three on the preseason odds. So it's not a negative to knock the idea that baseball's become predictable because I still think it's the least predictable of all the sports, but I wanted to lay out that it does get predictable. So the bottom teams, I'm brushing away. If they're your team, you can write me at SportsGarden, G-A-R-T-E-N. Go ahead, write the hashtag SGM. And come and talk to me. Pittsburgh Pirates at 300 to 1, you have no chance. There's just no reason to touch that. Seattle Mariners at 200 to 1, you have no chance. I like, look, to be honest with you, I like both organizations. I think Pittsburgh has a good young core. Should, am, I, am I obliged to have to say something nice when I go, you have no chance? Sure, okay. Seattle, well, we'll talk about Seattle. Um, they have a lot of young guys there. Lewis and Kalanick is coming up and Rodriguez. So the future is better for your two teams, but this year there's no no sense in betting them. Kansas City, whoa, 150 to 1. Now, if you're going to go take a long shot at 150 to 1, I mean, Kansas City might be the team. I don't like them this year, but I know what they can be. They have about five arms that are coming up. Some of them started last year. Some of them are right on the precipice. And maybe if they all hit at the same time, the odds, you're not going near 150. But I'm telling you, Kansas City, 
They need some hitting. I am really, really impressed with their pitching. Or soon to be pitching. Texas Rangers 125 to 1. Again, throw it away. Colorado Rockies at 125 to 1. I think people will take a stab at that. I'm not going to because they still don't have any pitching. Uh, Marquez is decent. Freeland, you know, we know what he is. And, and you look at Arenado and Story, sure, they're good, but they haven't been enough. And Blackman, probably not on the team. So Baltimore, 100 to 1. Get out of here. That Baltimore should be like 300 to 1. Baltimore 100 to 1 is terrible. San Francisco Giants. San Francisco almost made the playoffs. San Francisco is going to be there. They almost made the playoffs in a COVID year and they didn't do it. Okay? They have nothing. They have, this is cupboard is bare. At 80 to 1, they should be 300 to 1. This is a terrible line. Terrible. Detroit Tigers. Well, they got a new manager. That cheating piece of garbage. Yeah. And Detroit has nothing. Sorry. Sorry, Detroit. You get, you get, no. Casey Mize is like two years away from scaring me. Arizona at 66 to 1. Uh, you know, you, I don't think you could set this. I think it's a fair number at sixty-six to one. I wouldn't argue if you were fifty to one because they have some pieces there. But I, you know, you couldn't set it high enough for me to take a stab at Arizona. Marlins at sixty to one now gets into a conversation territory. The Marlins made the playoffs. The Marlins made the playoffs though, and everyone's going to go, yeah, but they did it in a COVID year, sure. But the Marlins are well coached. The Marlins have young arms, and they're not young arms that, well, you know what, you're throwing them out there. No, uh, these guys are supposed to be aces. The Marlins have about three young starting pitchers, Sixto Sanchez leading the crew. That might be aces. They now have playoff experience. They're also in a position where their bats are starting to come around. 60-1 to on the Marlins, it's worth a conversation. I don't think they're there yet. And that's the leap of faith you have to take. Are they there yet? And you have to ask yourself, you know, are we going to have a COVID situation? I don't think they're there yet. I think 60 to 1 is a little, if this was like 80 to 1, I might I might tell you, you know, it's a little value. But you don't want to just throw your money away. I hate being the guy that goes, oh, I throw 10 bucks on them. Why not? Well, why not? Because you just lost $10. That's why. If you could just throw $10, would you just throw it into the street? Probably not. Toronto at 50 to 1 is going to get a lot of action. People are liking this Toronto team, and I, I see why. Their lineup is dynamic. They still don't have starting pitching, though. And they just flat out don't. Could they go acquire some starting pitching? Sure. You know, could they make a bid for some? Yeah, that's when I'll watch that 50 to 1. And if I like it at 50 to 1 and they go out there and they get two arms that I kind of like and it goes down to 30 to 1, I'll still take, I'll I'll be happy with the value at 30 to 1. So they're just not a buy on team for me. Milwaukee, I don't see it. Again, no arms. You're, you're betting on teams that just flat out don't have the arms. And even if they have a good season, Milwaukee, in a winnable division, I think that that division all came back to the pack. I think the Central is going to be very weak this year. So in a winnable division, can Milwaukee win? Sure. Could you get a good hedging opportunity? Potentially. Um, is Milwaukee doing anything in the playoffs? No, they don't have. They don't even have an ace. Uh, you, you could. They got three guys that are maybe number twos. I do like their back end of the bullpen, though. Devin Williams? Back end of the bullpen, Williams and Hader. I used to, yeah, he's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, Yelich. Am I talking myself into the Brewers at 51? No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, 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 I can't do it. I, I think I just talked myself into it. Red Sox at 50 to 1. Get out of here. Nope, no chance. 
Red Sox just they just don't have what it takes. You can't convince me. And here's here's what I'm gonna do because I know I'm gonna hear, you know, my pals from Boston. They're gonna call me up and they're gonna go, Tommy. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna do a bad Boston accent. I almost did. They're gonna say, Tom, listen, what are you doing? Boston's getting Chris Sale and, and David Price back, and and you know we're gonna go because they're gonna try to make a play for Price. They're gonna try to go get this guy. Well, we're gonna get. The, you can bring a lot of guys in, and Chris Sale is coming back. You can't convince me that Boston lets Chris Sale pitch deep into the playoffs. You can't convince me that you're going to go get a top name to come in here because they showed that they didn't see that. And I know Price has shown interest in coming back to Boston. I don't see that's happening either. So a lot of that, those problems. Philadelphia, 40-1. to 1. I am a fan of Aaron Nola. I am a fan of what Philly was doing there. I liked them two years ago. I sort of liked them last year. At 40-1, to 1, they've burned me twice. Can I put my pride aside and say Philly at 40 to 1 is maybe worth it? Maybe worth a stab here? I think I almost have to, right? A Philly to 40 to 1 is almost worth a shot. The Angels are a team at 40 to 1 that you go, they have so much, but they have so little. They have so much offense and so little pitching. I can't go near it. Philly's one I'm circling, though. Philly, I'm circling. Because I think they're going to make some moves here. Philly, I'm circling. And I know they might lose some. But they have a lot of the core of things that I like. Superstar players, big-time middle of the bat. Uh, guys, I really like an ace starting pitching. They have a lot. Washington at 33-1. to 1. You have to just believe that Strasburg and Scherzer are going to be able to stay healthy the entire year. They have the hitting. Soto is a beast. Trey Turner is on the prefaces of, of an MVP. I mean, he's there. Nats, though, I don't believe that they could stay healthy. St. Louis, 33-1. to 1. I think St. Louis is going to take a pretty big step back this year. Um, they got a little bit lucky with the way the schedule broke for them, and I think they're a little overrated. The Mets at 33-1, to 1, what the hell are they saying? I mean, what, what do you see here? What, what do you see in the Mets? I'll tell you what they see. They see a new owner, and they think he's going to go spend. That's what you see in the Mets. That's it. This is pure. This is a pure speculation 33-1, to 1, because the Mets should never— be in this range with the current roster that they have. But they're believing, all right, Thor's going to get healthy. We still have another year in DeGrom. And our new owner, our knight in shining arm, is going to come down. He's going to spend some money. I can't disagree that he's going to spend some money. Just don't know if uh, he's going to spend that much money to get them back into respectability. The Cubs, 25-1. to 1. I think that whole central is going to come back to the pack. I think the Cubs are good. But they're pitching. Mm, it's taking a step back. They can't be as good as they, they were, the front line guys. So I don't like that. Cleveland, 20 to one Cleveland 21 is is rough because we know that they have the starting pitching they're back into the bullpen even though they lost hand Karnacek and Klaus should be pretty nice but the question is what about Lindor is he even going to be on this team if they fall out of contention are they going to go trade this guy are they going to trade him in the offseason so taking Cleveland at 20 to one I like the odds of Cleveland at 20 to one but I like him a lot better uh, during spring training or the day before the season begins than I do today because I'm not sure that I can buy into the fact that Lindor is 100% going to be here. The A's at 16-1, to 1, I think the A's are actually just my consistent team that I go, I see everyone loading up on them. I get it. They overachieve. They're that team. They're good. Oh, all, all of the talking points, and I never seem to like them, and I don't like them again. The Reds at 16-1. to 1. You still got Sonny Gray there, but you lose Trevor Bauer. And he's a big name to watch that will swing a lot. You can't tell me that you're going to be just as good with losing Trevor Bauer. Chicago White Sox at 16-1 to 1 is going to be another popular one. 
I love the move by Larusa. I love bringing in Larusa. I think that's fantastic. I think it's exactly what you need for this young, sort of cocky team. Maybe in a good way. Um, they have a lot of potential. A lot of potential. I'm not sure Chicago is ready to deal with the big boys, though. I don't know if Giolito is ready to be that ace that shuts people down. I don't know if Jimenez and Abreu are able to kind of do what they're they're going to be able to do. Abreu a little bit older, Jimenez a little too young. They're in a weird transition. If you wanted to convince me about 16-1 to 1 with the White Sox, I'm listening. I get it. I do. I get it. I think they're. It, it's just a little early. If they were twenty-five to one, twenty to one, even maybe sixteen, not enough to, to kind of get me going. Minnesota fourteen to one. Until you win a playoff game, I can't buy into you. I mean, look, is that harsh? Probably. Until you win a playoff game, why am I even speaking to you? Why am I having a conversation with you? Atlanta twelve to one. I like Atlanta. Soroka is going to be back. Their young core is still there. Freeman's still going to be there, right? Acuna is going to be there presumably for the entire year. I like what Atlanta's doing. I like everything about Atlanta that I see, except I want it a little bit better than 12 to 1. I still think 12 to 1 is pretty good, though. I, I think Atlanta right now would be my would be my favorite. Tampa Bay 10 to 1. I think I think the shortened season helped them a little bit last year. It helped to hide the fact that they don't have that big bat. It helped to enhance the idea that they could they, they could kind of get through being scrappy. I think you can get through being scrappy in a shortened season. I think over 162, they wouldn't have won the division. And I think over 162, you lose some things like Charlie Morton's probably not coming back, right? You have to take that into account. Um, is there some room for improvement for some of these younger guys? Oh, sure there is. I mean, I think Glasnow could be better. But you are taking away a major part of your team, so I don't like him at 10-1. to 1. San Diego 8-1 is—come to 1 is, is, uh, come on. Come on. Okay, what are we doing here? I mean, I mean, what are we doing here? I get it from the linesmaker standpoint. Sucker people in to take San Diego at 8-1. to 1. Why? Why? What? 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 Did they suddenly get, like, four aces that I don't know about? Because that was their problem last year. They could hit all over the place, right? Slam Diego. Slam Diego. Oh, that, And I'm going, no, that's cool, but who's their starting pitcher? Uh, who's who's their, who's, give me the three aces. Give me, the, well, the one ace and give me the three-man rotation. Give me it. Because I don't see it. And I still don't see it. Yankees and Dodgers, obviously, cream of the crop. I think you have to look at the Yankees as a team that, uh, you're starting to get into a position of, of they're constantly overvalued where maybe they're a little undervalued. And I thought I would open up this year and I'd start to see the Yankees at like 8-1 to one, where people are a little afraid of New York, a little, uh-oh, you know what, they just can't win in the playoff kind of scenario. Instead, they open at 6-1 to one. in some spots. They're 5-1. to one. It's sort of the same thing as the last two years. And you almost have to shy away because the odds are just not, not that good. And the Dodgers... The Dodgers should be the favorites here. I get why they are the favorites. But the Dodgers had a lot of help with COVID. Now, they may have done everything that they did and championed and won and had the trust. It, it all might have taken place in a non-COVID year. But a lot of the things that the Dodgers uh, were able to do were because of this. Clayton Kershaw being fresh because he didn't have to pitch an entire 33-game season, that means something. Claire Shaw, even in the shortened season, had three stints with his back. That's a problem, okay? Uh, Walker Bueller turning into a guy that 
doesn't really go deep into games, right? Fantastic talent, doesn't go deep into games. Their bullpen's going to be taxed. Does anybody believe in Kenley Jansen going into next year? So they're hitting I'm not worried about. But there are question marks about them as a favorite that I'm not going with at all. So let's do, do a quick review here. If I'm going for a deep, uh, let's take a shot kind of team. Uh, I'm not even talking about the Royals at 150 to 1. I think that's uh, just a little a little ridiculous. I started to convince myself into Milwaukee Brewers, but I'm not going to do it. The Marlins at 60 to 1. Look, that's that's intriguing, but that's also hoping that there's no innings limit on those young guys. I you know, you can't take a shot. Philly at 40 to 1, I got to watch the offseason. Because how much are they going to lose? Didi Gregorius looks like he's out the door. Real Muto looks like he's out the door. Uh they they're still probably can use some back end closer kind of guy. I don't know if Neris is the guy moving forward. So uh, Philly's interesting at 40 to 1. I'll, I'll call them interesting, right? Um, Cleveland. Cleveland's somebody to watch because at 20 to 1, I like Cleveland, but I like Cleveland way closer to opening day. So the one team that right now I would throw money on because I think the odds are going to be about the same, if not increasing for them. I think it's a winnable division. I think it's a winnable league. I believe that even if not, you're in a good hedging opportunity. That's the Atlanta Braves, 12 to 1. Now, I'm not calling the Braves to win the World Series here. I'm just giving you the value play. And the value play at 12 to 1, the Braves, that's a decent pick at 12 to 1. Everything else, make sure you store it in the back of your brain. You write it down. Do whatever you have to do because it can come into play. All right, guys, enjoy the college football. Enjoy the NFL this weekend. I'm Tom Barton with Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.